0: Hi, I'm Cleo Levin, and welcome to this Slate Plus episode for the latest season of Decoder Ring. Today, I'll be chatting with Decoder Ring host Willa Paskin about the making of this season. Hi, Willa. Hi, Cleo. First, I wanted to ask, I know the way you think about the show and cultural mysteries kind of changes as the seasons progress. How did you go about picking the topics for this season? I know, like, in the past, you had one season that had a lot of episodes about the
1: 80s. And then you wanted to move in more into the future. (laughs) Yeah, I would say, um, as ever, it's not, (laughs) I wish there was like a grand strategy, but um, we're always sort of like playing catch as catch can about topics and like what seems doable and like what comes to mind. I mean, it's so funny. We we actually I was just looking through my email this morning and we get so many suggestions now. It's really great from listeners. And there's like lots of topics. But even so, it's just still hard to find like the right one. This season was pretty short. And we were pretty crunched for time, even though it's short and we have a whole bunch of ones coming up. And also, this is just like, insider information was also moving. And uh, Katie Shepard, who's the producer of the show, was also moving, which obviously takes a bunch of time. So there's like a lot of outside forces that were like, we're going to kill ourselves. But like, we also have these like extraneous time constraints. I'm
0: curious, because you mentioned the reader emails. And also from a long time ago, I happened to be on the listserv. So I see those come in. Say someone comes up with a really fun topic, like they say you should investigate Danish tricycles. (laughs) In some cases, do you like know off the bat that will never work? Or are you often just kind of doing some light Googling on ideas that come from other
1: people? I would say it's like both. So maybe it's Mm -hmm. like half. The reader suggestions, the reader, the listener suggestions are really good and really interesting. I think it is really hard to pitch a topic for the show because there's two things that are happening in each episode. And sometimes we start with one and sometimes we start with the other, but they basically need to end up having both. The first is like the topic. So, like the question, maybe, like, what's up with that? You know? And then is a narrative. And it's actually easier to make a show when you start with the narrative and then you work your way backwards to the question. Um, but it's actually also harder to come up with narratives. It's easier to come up with topics. So what I find from the reader emails in general is that they are topics which is great and they're often awesome topics but they can be nebulous and so you have to start to look around and be like well what is the argument that I want to make about this and what's the concrete thing and like can I get to the bottom of it you know (laughs) we've gotten a lot of like uh what's the deal with live laugh love and like (laughs) that makes me laugh um and I like that idea but I'm like I actually don't know that we can like it's not even that you have to like answer it necessarily, but get somewhere like solid and concrete that feels satisfying. And I'm just not sure that we can do that with that one, for example. People suggest really interesting stuff all the time, but sometimes it's hard to extract like the concreteness from it basically. And I have been more aware than I was at the beginning that it's nice to be able to wrap your hands around the concept at the beginning because it always ends up getting bigger than you think. You know, like the sideways episode is actually just a very like perfect example of that to me where it was like, I knew what it was. And then it ended up being really rich and big in its way. <laughs> like I was like, we're gonna get our arms around this. And you know, i <laughs> like, and that that's actually feels pretty nice.
0: Yeah. All right, let's get into it. The first episode of the season was about the mall. I love throughout the episode, you have clips of people talking about their own experiences at the mall. Why did you decide to include these little anecdotes from people?
1: So I always had a really vision for that, which is I was like, you know, when when Harry met Sally, when they talk about like there's all those intercuts of the old couples talking about their weddings. Mm. I was like, let's do that. But about the mall, I don't know if that that came through, but that was exactly what I was thinking of. I was like, what if we just do enough of them that it makes sense? And the reason I wanted that is that, you know, the mall is such a bed of nostalgia and people have such personal and potent relationships with their mall. And it felt like getting that in was important. And also just a way to make it fun, you know, to like just enliven it, a way Mm. to to bring in different sounds and different audio.
0: Yeah, it brought up for me, you know, how much nostalgia there is around malls. And it made me curious whether you'd also thought about doing a mall episode that was more purely a nostalgia play and why you decided to take this angle of looking at the architecture.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, this is the thing that is interesting and i have to figure out as we go forward with this sort of format where we're talking to one person which is like basically when you're talking to somebody about their book they've spent years and years researching and they're your expert then like they're your portal into this question and alexandra lang is an architecture critic you know so that's um how she was coming into these questions and if i had come to them all absolutely cold like I think it's very likely that the question I would have been interested in is like, how is this thing that basically nobody likes also this thing that everybody loves? You know, (laughs) like, Mm. why is it so potent? I mean, I do think it does have a lot to do with being an adolescent and like freedom. But that's sort of not the point of these episodes. The episodes sort of like to try to trust an expert to guide us through and um, to make it a satisfying listen. But I have found it difficult in just a couple that we've done to sort of wrap my head around that to sort of like take the back seat in terms of like making the argument about what it is. Also just like, I frankly, I mean, I do quite a lot of reading and reporting about these topics when I'm doing this, but I do a lot less because I just am doing a lot less interviews, you know, like I'm not talking to 15 people about what they think about them all and just talking to 15 people means you, you know, have a lot of different perspectives and you hear a lot of different things. So yeah, that's why.
0: All right. And moving on to the second episode is about, Rod McEwen, the most famous poet no one remembers. Dan Coice hosted this episode and he's hosted for Decodering in the past. I'm curious about when you need a substitute host or when you want to introduce a new voice. The show is so much about like your voice and your ideas. How do you go about finding someone who's simpatico in the right way?
1: Well, I mean, I think it's only been Dan, but I don't <laughs> I mean, the thing is that I- Dan is like a very playful and intelligent guy who has his own perspective. And so that just makes it easy. It's just someone who has like confidence in their own thoughts because that's what the show is, right? It's like telling a story and it's also making an argument and making you think about different things. And Dan has all those things. And, you know, also I was like, we were very involved. Like we all worked on it very closely. But he's really, he just like wants to have fun in the episode and also sort of like on tape in a way that I think is really helpful. I think a lot of people don't have that. And I think that that and actually in that way it's sort of like sometimes those episodes his episodes have been like less constipated sometimes than just <laughs> my own because it's like I'm just like me banging my head against a wall. But like it's nice to have it someone to bounce the things off of. I thought that up I mean that episode's great and it turned out great.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to hear you use the word fun because it often feels like when you're pursuing an episode of decodering you're having a good amount of fun. Like maybe the writing and editing element can be a little bit torturous, but it often feels like the topics you choose like delight
1: you. Yeah, I hope so. I hope I want them to. I mean, it's they're much what's much, much better when that happens.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about since all this Woodstock '99 content is coming out now, the fact that I believe there was a decoder ring that got a little bit into that, and then it was clear yeah. pretty quickly that that wouldn't be fun. In- Fun at all. Yeah,
1: I think Ben and I talked about that on one of these behind the scenes. It sort of we had kicked that one around and I was like, this is too grim. I think there's a kind of bittersweet topic we've taken on um before that's not like just pure fun and sometimes they hopefully get a little emo. But yes, I think of the show as not being like straight up like heavy, you know, or if it's heavy, it's like coming out of something that's not horrible about humanity. (laughs) or like The Woodstock 99 thing didn't do that. But yeah, no, I mean, the thing about Ron McEwen also is like, there's just so much great tape, like what an amazing thing. And it it did also make me think like, probably there's like a whole show to do that's just like, who is that? I mean, you can't call it a who because of Who Weekly, but like something like, (laughs) do you know, we were just like really, really famous people from the past. Like we just don't know, you know? I mean, I think also what makes the episodes like Dan's insights sort of about poetry and about fame and about you know, thrift stores and that would be the difficulty if you're going to kind of repeat that format as like having actual ideas about different people. But I, people actually notch into different parts of culture in such a way that it, I thought it might be possible. But yeah, no, I think that episode's like a really, um, like it hit the bat really nice. It's like a Homer. <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah, I agree. I did want to ask about the process. You you were involved in editing the episode of kind of finding the core narrative and fact checking some of these things since McEwen fabricated a lot of things about himself yeah.
1: well that almost made it easier because it's just mm-hmm. like he made up a lot of stuff do you know what i mean like as long as you're like we this is probably not true or this is not <laughs> true you know barry alonzo who is his biographer who dan had talked to had like i think done most of that legwork mm-hmm. i mean the one thing there isn't actually that much of is actually like rod McEwen being interviewed about himself which you know it's just like there there wasn't that much of that but there's enough of him doing you know there's enough of him t- reading all his poems and being on tv shows And there was enough other people talking about him. It's just a fun episode to listen to, I think.
0: Yeah. All right. On to Alien Abductions. How did you find uh, Imaginary Worlds, the podcast, and this episode in particular?
1: Yeah, sure. Derek John, who is the um, head of narrative podcast at Slate, has sort of been the point man on doing these episodes where we pick up, a, like, basically pick up an episode from another show that we think our listeners will like. And he, I think, and Eric Malinsky, who makes Imaginary Worlds go back. I think this episode was memorable to him as just a listener. And he thought it would be a good fit for us. And I think he he was right. So that's how that happened.
0: Yeah. I feel like Aliens is such a, the mystery, the cultural mystery (laughs) there is kind of inherent. Had you ever thought about doing an Alien episode?
1: You know, I hadn't. And I can't say why, except that like that's just like not where my brain goes like I'm not like a I'm not into spooky things I'm not into like supernatural stuff <laughs> I'm sort of like a concrete person but I can't say that like the x-files and spaceship I mean all of it seems cool like I I wish I had thought of it it's also I mean it it also is big so it's like the kind of thing you want to have a way into which Jarek had obviously found which isn't really nice
0: yeah it was interesting because he sort of talks about the cultural relevance up top he mentions the recent government report on UFOs. And I feel like right now with the episode coming out in the wake of the movie, nope, it definitely feels like we're having an alien moment. But this was such a, like, episode rooted in the time period. And in this particular couple, it was nice that it was
1: grounded and in a particular story. I mean, that sort of echoes with what I was saying before, where it's like, you have a topic and then you still need a narrative, right? So like, if you just have to do a topic about aliens, I mean, a show about aliens, like, <laughs> I mean, you could do 10 million things. You could never stop. You know, you could do a whole show. I'm, I literally, I'm, I've been, lately been listening to a podcast ad when I listen to podcast and run that's about aliens, you know, like someone's doing a whole show. It doesn't seem like it's just a limited series either, you know, so like, it's very big. I mean, like the ideal thing with an episode of Decoder Ring is that it is a big topic, like, that, that whatever the narrative is lends itself to thinking about this big subject, but we can't do a whole episode about the big topic. And, I mean, I think, like, even when we've done stuff that is sort of, like, you start with the topic, then the topic has to be kind of concrete. Like, it has to be Cabbage Patch Kids or, like, Truck Nuts or something. Those are mm. two that weirdly are... Layer- people have been tweeting about a bunch lately um like something that is like solid so even if you're trying to like claw the narrative out of the thing at least the thing is not you know aliens yeah (laughs) and that and that balance can be you know storytelling for example Mm. that's like a too big a topic right like so we clawed something out of it but like there's a way to do a a mini-series about storytelling
0: yeah, that totally makes sense. So you're not trying to write an encyclopedia or something.
1: Yeah. And like we do that sometimes, and those can be fun, but I think they're less fun. You know, people like people like stories, as it turns out. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, okay, the final episode of the season is about Mae West, and you said that the idea originally came from former producer Ben Frisch. What really struck me right from the beginning of this episode was how like, wild and radical Mae West was, as a figure, I didn't realize that she was actually famous so far back. I'd kind of placed her, like, more mid-century, and the things she was doing were were really wild for the time period, so I'm just curious. Um, Cleo,
1: you and me both. You and me both. <laughs> um, I would say, like, my awareness of Mae West was, like, very, like, I knew her name, mm-hmm. like, I knew what she looked like, and I knew, like, that she was famous for sort of like this really camp like faux sex personality, actually, I don't. I think we might have done it, but in our episode about hydration, she recorded a series of early Poland Springs ad. I think yeah, in the seventies in America,
0: Poland Spring water comes two ways. Mm, I like that with and without bubbles.
1: So I like, knew of her as like this sort of camp icon, and I knew I knew her movies. I mean, I, I knew a lot of her catchphrases, you know. But I didn't actually really know anything about her. So obviously, if you're doing an episode about something that's happening that far back in the past, in some ways, you're limited, right? Because everyone's dead (laughs) and there's no audio. Those are both like strikes against a thing. But when something happens that far back, it turns out the truth is that tons of information has been lost. Like, I know this now just from talking to people about things. Every book that's ever been written is mis- like, it, the, the difference between talking to people who actually experience something and reading about it, there's always a huge amount of information in there. Like, that just doesn't get in. But... Once that information is lost, there's something actually really fun and easy about it because you talk to a bunch of experts, you know what I mean? And they've really like immersed themselves in this whole thing. They know all of it. They've read everything. And they are really fun to talk to about historical subjects. The thing's very clean about it. So um, May West was like that. Like, it's just like really fun to talk to a bunch of people about May West and to not know all the things you don't know, you know, or to know the things you don't know would be like, I definitely am not going to solve this. We're never going to figure out what she was doing from 1923 to 1925. You know what I mean? Like, it's I'm not going to know. So it doesn't matter how many calls I make. That was cool. And she's so interesting and it's so interesting. And she actually is, you know, her and Rod McEwen have this overlap, which is they were both real storytellers about themselves. Dan started that, you know, his narration starts like, McEwen was a born liar, storyteller, let's say, or whatever. And like, you could say the same thing about Mae West. I mean, I don't think it was quite as pronounced, but she is also not a reliable narrator of herself, in part because she really created this persona, which is like sort of what is explicated in the episode. And then she just really became that in that way of like, you know, like maybe she didn't even know she was pretending. Maybe she just became that. Mm-hmm. The, the hard thing about the episode was like, I didn't know what my idea was about it for a long time. And I'm not sure that I explicated that idea particularly well. And I, but I was like, I just have to get out of the way of this story and we're going to tell it. But I mean, I think to me, this sort of thing is illustrative of, and this sort of echoes not just with celebrity, but with social media, the way that, we figure out to pretend to be ourselves, you know, that's what the story is about her figuring out how to pretend to be herself until that becomes who she is. Like, and it is also about drag, like about, I think RuPaul said, you know, we're born naked and everything else is drag. And it's about that too. It's like, you know, she has this experience literally with drag queens doing a play called the drag, but she's sort of figuring out how to like, The drag of Mae West, which she was always playing, which is why, you know, like in 1934 in Vanity Fair, someone, you know, already called her like you, Mae West are the greatest, you know, female impersonator of all time. So it's like, this is a really old thought about her, but I think it's not just about the femininity, which is obviously so heightened and over the top. And is sort of the thing that people remember about her. It's actually like, it is also celebrity and figuring out how to just like be the thing that not even that people want, but that, you know, that it comes in so clear.
0: Yeah. At the top, you frame it as she made a blueprint for kind of overcoming scandal or using your scandal as a form of branding. And you allude at the end also to the way that this kind of uh, pave the road for celebrities going forward and I felt like maybe you wanted to draw some comparisons to modern day celebrities was there anyone you were thinking about when you're making this episode that you were yeah
1: I definitely like I definitely was like oh I should put names in here but I just was like I'm not gonna be able to think of everyone it's like everybody I mean it's like Marilyn Monroe to Jane Mansfield to like Kim Kardashian like Madonna I mean I really think it's kind of like everybody and I was like I'm going to fuck this up. But yeah, I think all that was like a little facile. Like, I think it's true, but sort of to me, like the more interesting thing was like, how do you learn to play yourself and how much work it took her? But there was various reasons. Like it doesn't always get drawn out. You know, that was just what was on my mind.
0: <laughs> yeah. That totally makes sense.
1: Also, the other thing about that episode is that it was really different <laughs> than on one of our usual episodes because of all these things I said, which there's no primary sources and everyone's dead. So Going into it, we just knew we needed to be really sound rich, really sound designed, and also like we needed to have all this reporting of like what people said. So it was just like actually this serious reporting endeavor, and also then for Katie Shepard, to rings producer, like this really big sound (laughs) challenge. So like as I said, I was working on this for months, and I was just like going through old newspapers and pulling out all the lines from the court trial, like that people actually said. And and then through the biographies, all the things that Mae West had been said or people had said to her. So it was like going through those things and sort of pulling all of the things that might be usable because otherwise we don't want it to just be experts. And then we had to put that all together. And so we had to hire voice actors, which we've never, ever, ever done. And that was really fun. And, and Derek John really helped with that too, like hiring people. And Ben had actually found Minerva Jane early on. And um, the interview heard is is one that I did, but he had like found her initially and she was our Mae West. And she found some additional people to sort of help out in Idaho to do some of the scenes with her. So that was I mean, that's the thing about the episode is that as much as I just sort of complained about how I don't know that the idea came through, we were doing this other thing we've never done before, which was like kind of to have it be more like a play. And yeah, and then Katie had to build this whole insane sound like you know a courtroom and and like the sound of the theater and so that was like a big part of making the episode that was the thing that was exciting about it it was a, just like a new challenge right like it was a sound challenge and like mm. a dramatic challenge that we hadn't taken on before just because of of when it happens
0: yeah okay and that was all the episodes for this season but we have more coming soon I think uh we'll have two episodes in October and more following is there anything that you want to tease for the listeners about what they should be excited about
1: <laughs> yeah sure i think we're coming up we're hoping to do a twofer about i'm not going to tell you specifically but about psas like public service announcements and the aesthetics and history and ridiculousness of them and then yeah that we have like seven at the end of the year but yeah yeah we're we're really like already in the thick of it all right very exciting thanks so much for joining me well yeah of course
0: thank you and thanks so much, Slate Plus listeners, for your support. That's it for now, but look for more episodes of decoder coming in October.